0: day of august nineteen forty five no one who conceived, designed, or assembled the Hiroshima bomb knew where uranium nuclei came from, or what science had actually achieved. Not Oppenheimer or Yuri, Alvarez, or even Einstein would have believed that they had resurrected something from the remote past from a time and a place seldom encountered in human thought. Each of the uranium-235 atoms at the bomb's core had been forged more than 4.6 billion years earlier, in the hearts of supernovae. The core was assembled from the ash of stars that had lived and died long before the oldest mountains of the moon were born. Mined and refined to better than 83% purity, and brought together in precisely the right geometry, the primordial remnant of creation was coerced to echo— after ages of quiescence, the last shriek of an imploding star. In all its barest quantum essentials, what happened above Hiroshima that morning, and three days later in Nagasaki, in a separate plutonium cauldron filled with the byproducts of a uranium reactor, signified the brief reincarnations of distant suns. None of the men who worked this strange alchemy understood yet that the carbon flowing within their veins was, like uranium, the dust of the stars. Nor did they know that the nuclei of carbon and uranium could possibly conceal anything much smaller than the diameter of a proton. Indeed, Einstein and Oppenheimer refused even to acknowledge that such quantum worlds existed. They therefore did not know what neutrons were made of or precisely how cracks in space-time, cracks in the universe itself, permitted matter to become energy. So primitive was their understanding that it might have been compared to the thought processes of a Neanderthal discovering napalm. In like manner, the scientists never suspected that the forces they unleashed bridged their day with the origin of the universe and bridged megatime with the travel time of light across the diameter of a proton. Though they knew next to nothing about how their briefly created echo from the past worked, next to nothing was enough. Inevitably, someone was bound to be standing below Point Zero. This peculiar distinction fell to a thirty-five-year-old widow and a half-dozen monks. Mrs. Zayoyama had sent her son Nenkai away to school a half-hour earlier than usual, which was why history was to claim the boy as the sole surviving resident from the neighborhood. The Ioyama home was attached on one side to a Buddhist temple, with which the family shared and maintained a large vegetable garden. By 8.15 Mrs. Ioyama was probably working in the garden with her neighbors, just as she worked with them every morning. If so, no one was nearer the actual zero point or more openly exposed, than Mrs. Aoyama and the monks. Overhead the dome of Hiroshima's Industrial Sciences Building pointed straight up into the center of the detonation. The temple garden in which Mrs. Aoyama toiled was located immediately adjacent to what would become known to future generations as the Peace Dome. During that final split second before moment zero, Mrs. Aoyama and the monks lived on the cusp of instantaneous non-existence on the verge of dying before it was possible to realize they were about to die. At the moment the bomb came to life, before a globe of plasma could belly down to ground level, the top millimeter of the dome's metal cladding would catch the rays from the bomb and liquefy instantly, then flash to vapor. Bricks and concrete, too, were on the verge of developing a radiant liquid skin. Unlike the man leading a horse across the nearby T Bridge, Mrs. Aoyama could not possibly leave a permanent shadow on the ground. From the moment the rays began to pass through her bones, her marrow would begin vibrating at more than five times the boiling point of water. The bones themselves would become instantly incandescent, with all of her flesh trying simultaneously to explode away from her skeleton, while being forced straight down into the ground as a compressed gas. Within the first three-tenths of a second following the bomb's detonation, most of the iron was going to be separated from Mrs. Aoyama's blood, as if by an atomic refinery. The top few millimeters of soil, as they converted to molten glass, would be shot through with such high concentration.